0: Good morning <laughs> All right. I am I am not going to respond to dave's introduction just just so you know, but um, I am very grateful to be here and, and honestly not because We had a role to play in your building project, which by the way was a lot of fun, and congratulations uh, for breaking ground last month. That's exciting. Uh, But really it's been the relationship I've had a chance to build with the staff and the team here and just really falling in love with them, and uh, I know how much they love you. So it's very much an honor for me to be here. But the reason I was asked to to come today is this series on becoming human, uh, which I am excited to talk about. Uh, Just really just wanna share my story of that with you, so uh, my story starts. I was actually born in a very beautiful, uh, very upscale, posh single-wide trailer uh, about 45 miles outside of Houston, Texas. Um, everything about that is true, other than the nice and posh part, but that's all right. Uh, going into middle school, my parents, my dad got a job in Central Florida, so we moved to Central Florida. And uh, basically, going into high school, uh, some circumstances happened uh, to our family that kind of forced us to live uh, in affordable housing, which was on the other side of town. And going into high school, though, I was a decent basketball player. And so I was given the opportunity of getting scholarships to go across town to a private christian school and in one very important detail in the story i i was absolutely not a christian like you you think of what a christian is supposed to look like go go the opposite direction so it was a little bit of a culture shock for me but uh, the story got better for me Um, it was a good move to go to this school for uh, for sports reasons Uh, by the time i was a junior in high school uh, i'd been selected uh, wendy's high school heisman which basically Wendy says, we think you're the number one student-athlete in the state, uh, won a similar award for Gatorade. Um, that year, we actually went to the state championship game, um, and I got most outstanding players, so I scored, and I scored 27 points. This is not to brag, okay, a little bit to brag. Um, 27 points, but the only shot I missed in the, of, the, of the second half was the game winner. We lost by one. Um, So they say time heals all wounds, and that is not true at all. (laughs) So uh, one of the cooler opportunities through that was I also got to play for Team Nike. So long story short, we had 15 guys, all went D1. Uh, We had eight people on that team that played pro. We got to represent the U.S. in a lot of international tournaments, and uh, we were the number one AAU team in, in the States. And so basketball for me was going very well, and I had kept my grades up. And so during that time, I had this really tough decision. I got, I got offers from two ACC schools and an SEC school, but I also got accepted into three Ivy League schools. And so I knew that basketball would one day end for me, and so I decided to use that to have an opportunity to go play at the University of Pennsylvania. So um, the, the thing is, is, as well as basketball was going for me, my, my home life truly looked nothing like that. Uh, both my mom and my dad... Uh, suffered from alcohol and substance abuse. Like I said, we, we really didn't have a lot of money. Um, but it was, a, it was a rough home environment, and I'll spare details. But it was bad enough that my mom actually left uh, my junior year of high school. And I would only see her one other time in my life. She passed away just a few years after that. And the, the last time I saw my mom, she came to my high school graduation unannounced, and as I was walking across the stage to get my diploma, she had been drinking. Uh, she threw something at me that missed me and hit my principal, um, which, well, later I was like, well, that's not such a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, And then she had to be physically escorted out of the graduation. She's yelling, she's screaming, she's in front of I don't know how many people, but it was, it was obviously incredibly embarrassing. But this also made it more difficult on my dad, who... Uh, they had a, a dual income household, and now it was, we're down to one income, and uh, we moved into uh, affordable housing, which is like one step down, and on top of my school, on top of basketball and everything else, I'm, I'm working uh, on the weekends and at night sometimes just to kind of help and chip in, but it was very difficult on my dad. And so the end of my senior year, my dad met a woman, and I came home one day. Uh, He told me that he was starting a new life and that I would not be a part of it. And so I had this very difficult decision because I'm watching my family just evaporate, right? And it didn't make a lot of sense to me to go all the way up to Philadelphia to go to school when I'm watching everything at home fall apart. And so I made a very tough decision and I called Coach Dunphy at the University of Pennsylvania and I just said, hey, I won't be attending in the fall. And so, when I talk about basketball, I, I really do bring up the awards, or the refrigerator awards, as we like to call them, not, not to prove that I'm a 35-year-old has-been, um, as much as to kind of just show you what I lost. Like, that was my life and my identity. I, I remember getting up every day and going to the gym and making 750 shots before school and being the last guy in the gym after practice, making another 750 shots before I went home. Now, honestly, part of that was because I didn't want to be home, right? But this was my entire identity in my entire life. And I felt like within a year to a year and a half, I literally lost everything and anything that I could care about. Lost my family. I lost my dream of of getting an Ivy League education. I lost school. all, All for people who, by the way, never came back. Felt like a failure. But the hardest thing that I had to deal with going through that experience, believe it or not, was going to that stupid private Christian school. Because I'm hanging out with a bunch of kids who look like me, but are nothing like me. And, and I'm watching them having them forced to go to chapel, which by the way, I do also want to point out, only student not required to go to chapel by my senior year because of how much, how much trouble I got into when I was there. But I'm, I'm in chapel and I'm watching this stuff unfold and people raising their hands and they're talking about God and you hear all these sermons and it's like, man, there's no way. And I reduced... My opinion of God down to two options. Either A, God does not exist, or B, he's not good. Because if he was good, why would he allow things like this to happen? You're raising your hands and you're praising him because you have everything to be grateful for. Try coming home to my house for a day. Y'all are like, who in the world invited this guy to speak at a church? (laughs) All right, so you probably guessed there is a turning point to this story. Surprise, shocker. So my my dad, one of the last things he told me when we were choosing school, he said, you know, you really need to find a new basketball. Basketball won't last forever. Find something you can be passionate about and pour yourself into. And so when basketball was behind me, I was like, man, I like making money. Um, I think I'm gonna basically focus on that for a while. And and I tried as hard as I could to, to go up the corporate track. And in that process, I met this guy this um, just an amazing guy who would go on to be my mentor, put his arm around me, just adopted me, literally. Um, he would end up being the best man at my wedding years later. His name is Don Martin. And I worked for this man for many years, and, and I just began to climb and climb and climb. And so much of it was due to his mentorship and his support. But the one problem I had with Don was that he was a Christian, right? So you guys don't live in the States, but if you've ever been to the states. There's this area called the Southeast where in order to live there, you have to say you're a Christian, right? And that was my entire idea about Don. It's like, Don, you're just a good person and good people need something to give credit to because they obviously don't want to take credit themselves, but this God thing is just not for me. And so uh, one day, about 10 years ago, he called and he said, hey, I want to do something different with you this year. I said, okay, what's that? He said, well, I want to wake up a couple times a week before work, and I want to do a devotional with you. So my, my first response was, what, what is a devotional, right? And it, and it turns out a devotional is this thing where you read Bible verses, and then you talk about them. I was like, well, that sounds awful. <laughs> like, literally, can we do anything else? I, I Give me more work, anything. But, you know, I look around, and I'm 25, and I'm, I'm seeing how the trajectory of my life has changed so much. And, and all of it is due to this man, it's like, man, if the guy wants to spend 15 minutes a couple times a week reading something to me, why not? Well, that's Sly Fox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't understand a lot of what he was telling me at the time, but for an entire year, I heard two things. I love you, God loves you. I love you, God loves you. And man, I mean, it took a whole year because I'm that stubborn, but I, but I ended up starting to go to church and I, I became this thing that I swore I'd never be a Christian, (laughs) right? And it really was, I don't have the time to to tell you all about that experience and what it truly meant to me at that time, but but becoming a Christian changed the trajectory and the priorities of my life. It it really, really did. And I got involved um, at a North Point church in Atlanta, started serving, just, my life looked totally different. In fact, I wanna show you a couple pictures. During that process, I met this lovely lady so that is my wife, Jess. Um, by the way, single guys uh, if the, who don't normally go to church, I want to point out something that, like, if you do go to church, your chances of meeting and marrying pretty women go astronomically higher. So um, so this is my wife. We got married in 2012, and then uh, not too long after that, um, we had these two angels. Uh, so that is Canaan uh, and Evie and Evie is perfect, and she's two, and uh, Kanan is a four-year-old version of me, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so my, my entire life changed. I, I just remember being so grateful, right? To, to come from what I came from, um, and, and, to, and to have a good career, and to have things going well. I started a business that, that you know, everything in my life is going well. Married a pretty w- lady, have great kids, August 30th of last year, um, we had a very significant change in our life. I was, I was down in Miami, we have a project down there, and we were interviewing architects and contractors that day, and so I was very busy, and I had put my phone on Do Not Disturb. And by the time I went back to my phone, I saw that I had 15 missed calls from my wife, which gentlemen, you, you know, you're either in a lot of trouble, or she is. So i wonder wondering what's going on, I call her back, and, and here's kind of the, the context, the background. Um, <laughs> I love my wife. She's a little bit of a hypochondriac. And by a little, I mean. Um, but she, uh, but, and by the way, what I mean by that is not to disparage her at all, it's just in the States we have bad insurance. I can't tell you the number of times I've been to the ER with my kids in, 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 and all we get in return are Motrin and Popsicles, right? Like she's a little bit always worried that something is worse than what it is. So we've been to the doctor a lot. So when she told me she wanted to go to the doctor, I wasn't surprised uh, but she had woken up the night before she had a tingling sensation on the left side of her body um, and she had gone to the doctor and they performed a bunch of tests on her and, and and they said you're fine there's nothing wrong and she felt like god was 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 nudging her to get this mri she just felt completely convicted about it. i got I, like i need an mri i know you're telling me i'm fine but i want an mri and so when they did the mri they found a a tumor in her brain uh, measuring 55 millimeters. So to give you guys an idea, that is, that is about the size uh, of my fist. The, the, the irony of the story was that the tingling was on the left side of her body. The tumor's also on the left side, so you know anything about the brain. If the tingling was on the right side, it would have been symptomatic, but turns out the tingling was completely asymptomatic, not even related to the tumor. It was just enough to get her there. So I get this, I get this news. I don't know what it is at this point, but, but I get back to the airport. I get home, and the next day we find out Uh, Our worst fear, um, that your wife has brain cancer. And man, (laughs) once you get over the shock, I have to tell you, I just felt angry. Uh, Again, I I felt like after everything um, that we had been through, that that, that there was just no way this should be happening to us. And, And I remember, again, I haven't been a Christian for the majority of my life. But I, but I do know some of the things I said to God would probably make most Christians shudder, right? I remember, I remember going to him and being like, what kind of God are you that you would allow this to happen to such an undeserving person? Like, my wife is healthier than me. She's nicer than me. She's better Christian than me. Give it to me. We, we named our son Canaan, my wife also comes from a broken background. Her mom's been married uh, several times. Her, her dad was very absent. So when we were going to name our son, we came across this verse in Genesis, Genesis 17, where God is establishing his covenant with Israel. And it says that um, you used to be foreigners in a foreign land, but as of today, I give you the land of Canaan to you and to your descendants, and I'll be their God. We named our son Canaan after the idea that God was ending generational curses with him. And you're going to take his mom? I was angry. By the way, I have to say this. I really believe that knowing, about, knowing God like I know him now, God will take an authentic complaint over a fake praise any day. Because when I sat in that room and I yelled and I screamed and I went at him, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't come down from his throne and smite me with a lightning bolt. He met me. We'll get to that part, though. <laughs> but we're in, we're in this journey, and, and we're scared. And so during that time of kind of processing this fear and processing this emotion, I really felt like God gave these two passages. And these are the passages that I want to share with you. They're very similar. Um, but let, let's get into that. Uh, the first passage is Mark four thirty five to 41. It says, uh, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So before we, before we keep going, I, I had never heard of a furious squall before. Okay, so I'm not sure what that is. But for those of you that have been in a boat, you, you know that when you're out to sea and, and it gets even a little choppy, man. That, that, that boat's going everywhere. You're starting to get seasick. But this is bigger than that. What this is saying is, can you imagine being in a boat where the waves are so big that they're literally crashing over the side of the boat, okay, and flooding the boat with water? It's a little bit of a scary situation. Then Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Uh, because we were drowning and you were sleeping. That's why we were afraid. It's one of those weird Jesus questions that you don't really know the right answer to. Right? Even the winds and the wave obey him. So here here's the important context of this story, though. We're in Mark four. So in Mark three is when the disciples meet Jesus for the first time. So the assumption is that they're in this situation not soon after their initial meeting with him. They don't know him well. The other important piece of context is that most of the disciples were fishermen. They they had spent their entire lives on the water, and because they didn't have weather.com, I I doubt very much that they were able to avoid every storm that popped up during that time. I'm, I'm positive they had been out on the water and caught in storms before. For them to be this freaked out, like this had to be One heck of the storm. And and, and here's the situation that is mind-blowing is they they were fishermen, and here comes this strange man, right? And, And they cast aside their nets, and they leave everything they know about themselves behind to follow this man. And here he is saying that he's fully capable of saving us, and he's sleeping during our biggest storm. Don't you care if we drown? And, and I remember feeling exactly like that. Wake up. God, if you are who you say you are, change my circumstances. Heal my wife. In fact, one of the most difficult things to, to grapple with in the situation is like, man, God, ever since I became a Christian, I've, tell, I've told everybody about you. I believe that you're the God who spoke the world into existence, that there are galaxies so far away that our eyes cannot see them. And you did that. You could eviscerate her cancer in a word. It's the fact that you can and that you would choose not to that makes me not trust you. I learned something during that process. Like, I have faith in God. I just don't trust God. I didn't even know there was a difference before. But that was just it. Okay, here's the thing, guys. I know that if my son or my daughter, and you know that if it was your son and your daughter, and you had the means of healing them, that you would move heaven and earth to do so. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, calm the storm. But through that process, we, I, I came across another passage. Um. <laughs> That, mo- that really significant moment that I had um, with God, and I'm, I'm saying all these things, it, 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 it was basically uh, about four in the morning, I, I woke up, and I had this big experience with God, and the biggest question that I was trying to answer is, can God be real if bad things happen, right? But through that process, I felt like he met me, and I felt like there was just this huge connection. Instead of feeling smited, I felt like he wrapped his arms around me and that he loved me. And I had this thought that if the creator of the universe cared enough about me to meet me at four o'clock in the morning in my office, that, that, and, and that I truly have no control of the situation, that what do I have to lose by just trusting him? And so I made a decision that day, just basically said, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. You are not God because of what you'll do in this situation. You are God because of what you've already done. And I remember feeling the need for control and the, and the need to be angry, and all of those emotions just basically went away in a moment. And I, and I decided from that point on, and, and we my family, we all prayed through this, that we were just going to trust God literally no matter what happens. And, and here's this next passage I want to share with you. It's a very... Similar set of circumstances that the disciples find themselves in. Okay, um, but the big exception is before we read this, that at this point of the story, they have gotten to know Jesus much better. Um, they've seen him heal people—people uh, people who never could walk get up and walk, people who could not see are given sight. They've seen him perform all of these miracles, and they're coming off of this big miracle that a lot of you have heard about, uh, where Jesus feeds five thousand people. With a couple loaves of bread and some fish. And after the day is over, they decide that they're going to to kind of get out of town. So let's read this together. Um, This is Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Another version of this um, describes it more of a storm, a very similar situation to uh, the one that they were in before. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Something very significant happens here where there's 12 disciples, okay? And one guy out of 12 decided to do something, the other other 11 wouldn't. He stands up, and here's what he says. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, truly, you are the Son of God. Hmm. The reason that this verse is so significant to me is how much it parallels the first verse. But one guy saw something that the eleven did not. He said, you know what, we've been in this situation before. We've seen our circumstances get the better of us, but we've also seen who you are and what you can do. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, I don't need you to change my circumstances. I need you to use my circumstances to change me and find you in the midst of those circumstances. Peter made a decision that in the midst of his circumstances, he was going to trust his savior. So i to show you a couple uh, interesting things here, but little context on my wife. When we got the news uh, about her cancer, um, I did as any uh, husband in here would do. I went into full on husband mode, Um, called every neurosurgeon, every doctor we could possibly try to find. and we ended up with uh, the supposedly number one neurosurgeon in the world. Um, now he told us that he's that, so I'm not sure if that's, anyway, but ev- every single person that we met with said the same thing. Um, there is no situation where we can get the entire tumor. My, my wife actually had to stay awake during her brain surgery, and, and so they're like, there's just, it's so big, there's no way that we'll be able to get it all, um, and if we get aggressive, um, it's very likely that she is going to lose uh, motor function on the right side of her body. She'll have to learn to walk again, to talk again, um, hold her kids, all the things that she's, in, that she's accustomed to doing. And she'll have to learn how to talk all over again because the speech, this tumor was in the speech function portion of her brain. So the, the first photo I wanna show you is actually an MRI that was taken a week after our surgery. The big black hole in the middle there is actually where the tumor was. Um, so believe it or not, um, they did get the whole tumor. Um, which was an amazing thing, and then this picture really says even more to me, to be honest. Um, this is a picture of my wife walking to my truck the day after the surgery. So, God, yeah, thank you. So, And, and, and how I wish the story ended there. <laughs> Um, God came through for us and performed this miracle that that is, to this day, we're still grateful for, and it's still mind-blowing, but our story, like any story, did not end there. And we've actually, just being candid, we have spent the last 10 months since that surgery, and probably it's been the most difficult 10 months that either her or I have had. We we found out that the type of cancer she has is the one that we really were hoping that she didn't have. Um, Now, thankfully, the success of the surgery makes that um, a lot easier for us to deal with. Um, But I, I remember maybe three months um, after the surgery, I I went upstairs to get my son in the morning, and I'm with him, and I I hear this knocking sound. And I I couldn't, it's like, why in the world would someone be working this early in the morning? And eventually, though, uh, it just, something's wrong. And so I told my three-year-old to stay upstairs, um, which any of you who have three-year-olds know how that went, right? Um, And I went downstairs to find my wife. Uh, She had a grand mal seizure. The sound I was hearing was her leg kicking the kitchen island but it had taken me so long for the light to go off that something was going on that by the time I got down there, she had fallen on her back and she had swallowed her tongue and she was not breathing. And I had to resuscitate my wife in front of my three-year-old son. And he had to watch her get whisked away in an ambulance. To this day, he tells her not to go sleeping on the floor. Um, There's 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 just so many things. It's been a very, very difficult 10 months. one of the things in this story that has stood out to me so much is Peter sinking. And, 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 here, and here's why. You, you know, you're like, man, you had the courage to do something 11 other people didn't. Like, you had the courage to step out of a boat that was being rocked by waves that are taller than the boat. What happened, man? What happened? And what I came to realize is this, that if Peter would have made it all the way to Jesus, I truly believe that the story would be about Peter. But the story is not about Peter. The story is about a perfect Savior who enters into the imperfect circumstances of his imperfect people. The story is about Jesus. Jesus. When I started this journey, when I finally started to pray, one of the things I prayed for all the time was, God, would you just please give me enough grace to make it through this ordeal? And what I found, like Peter, is that really God only gives us enough grace to make it through the day. And that story of having enough courage to get up and face the day, and then by the end of the day, feeling completely overcome by the reality of my circumstances was something I could completely understand and relate to. Another thing I just want to share with you guys, real quick, on this, and, and, this, and the name of this series is Becoming Human. And, and this stands out to me so much, but I believe with all my heart that Peter teaches us something here. Um, because we're not God and we can't control our circumstances as much as we would like to, um, there's two things that you have to accept when you face a difficult time. See, what happened to Peter is he's not a bad guy, he's just a human. Like when you're in the boat, in the safety zone of life, and everything is going well, you like to think, I could step out and be courageous, or I can do those things. But when you get out on the water, and you find yourself in the midst of difficult times, your humanity sets in. And the two things that you have to accept in this situation are your humanity and your Savior's hand. See, Jesus didn't let Peter drown. He didn't rebuke him and say, You should have more faith, man. See you in the next life. He reached out his hand, and Peter screams, What? Lord, save me. I think one of the one of the difficult things in this situation, there were many difficult things, um, was just understanding why. I think that's another thing, and I'll just share this with you. I couldn't understand, because here's here's a here's an interesting thought. Um, I was born and I will die, and, and and my wife is the same. And so this this miracle that God did for us, um, really more prolonged the inevitable than it did anything else. Like we didn't defeat death, we just beat cancer, right? So so why did God do that? And there's this guy named John, who's another one of the uh, disciples. Um, now he got his own book, even though he stayed in the boat. But his his book in the gospel. Um, <laughs> basically accounts for uh, the life of Jesus. And he records a lot of these same events. But the interesting thing is he never calls them miracles. He always calls them signposts. And what is the purpose of a signpost? It's to point to something, right? And, And the feeling of powerlessness that I had, and I look, I can't cure cancer. I can't fix the world's problems. Heck, I can't even do anything for my own wife. But I know who can and one of the things I believe about our story and the reason God entered into our story was that he wanted to use our story to reach people. When we decided to trust him, God took a canvas of brokenness and of pain and he turned it into one of love and of redemption and of healing. I remember going to my wife the day before surgery, like we were doing the, uh, the updates on the website. And I was like, can you believe 5,000 people have like come to this website to, to read our story? By three weeks later, that number was 23,000. And and we had people reaching out to us that we never met, never knew, going through the exact same circumstances that we had just gone through. And I I didn't know that there were that many people in pain. But when we made the decision to trust God, he decided that he was going to use us to help people because our God has a plan to rid the world of cancer and of brokenness and of sin. And he's using us as a part of that plan to do it. So there, there's a verse, um, I, gotta, I gotta go a little faster here, but there's a verse, there's a lot to take in on this, um, but there's one verse, <clears throat> and it's so ironic. I had written this um, actually prior to listening to the last couple of weeks of messages, but every single speaker so far before me has also used this same verse. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna read this together with you. It's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Um, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever, amen. I I would love for you guys to just write this verse down because there are three things that we learn in this verse about God's plan for us and with us. It tells you three things. The first thing it tells you, what God is capable of. He is the God who speaks the universe into existence. He is our creator. I believe that with all of my heart. He can do things in our lives bigger than we could ever ask or ever imagine. The second point, it tells us how he does it. And it's not because of us, certainly not. It's not even through us. It's his power at work within us. God is God to us, not because he changes our circumstances, but because he changes us in our circumstances. And why does he do it? The third point, to his glory, not mine, to his glory forever and ever through the church, which is you. God uses our story to show his greatness. So there's, there's three things um, just, to, just to take away. The first is this. Um, our experiences and our expectations do not define our God. God is not defined by our circumstances. In fact, here, here's, here's a bit of truth. God, I feel like we as Christians think that because God exists, bad circumstances shouldn't. And that's not true. In fact, it says in the Bible that you will face trials of many kind. But it also says, I will be your perfect help in times of trouble. God promises us that we will have problems. The other big illusion that I think we uh, just believe is that God exists for us. But here's the thing, if like he is the creator and he is eternal, meaning he was there long before I was born and long after I die, God doesn't exist for me. I exist for God. And, and, and here's, you're like, what in the world does that mean? Let me, let, me, let me just say it to you in very practical terms. I have no control over what happens to me but I fully control how I respond. So when trials and tribulations and these things come, we can either sink down into the mire of our circumstances or we can raise ourselves to our our calling and who God says that we are. The the second big point is this, the Christian life was never meant to be lived inside of a boat. One of the prayers that I prayed, and I mentioned it already, is God, I don't need you to change my circumstances, I need you to use these circumstances to change me. And, and, and change me so that I can overcome my circumstances. But one of the biggest illusions that we find in our life is that there is safety, or more safety, in the boat than there is out on the water. And, and I will tell you, every day I wish that I could get out of the waves and the wind and, and find my way back to the boat when things are good. That was a very human desire on a daily basis for everything to go away, but that did not happen. But what I found, what I found, is that there is so much more safety being out in the middle of a storm with Jesus than there ever is letting the storm come to you in a boat. I would take being in his presence in those circumstances over anything else, any day. And, and some of you though, you hear this story and we go, man, that's, I mean, bro, that stinks. Um, but I can't relate to that. I can't understand that. In fact, I have a good marriage. Job is going well. Everyone's healthy. We have so much to be thankful for. Well, let me, let me, and this is for you. If you are not experiencing pain and tragedy and loss, it is your calling as a Christian to enter into the pain and the tragedy and the loss of others. Someone needs... Your story. So speaking of stories, I mentioned this and just being honest, we're we're not out of the woods. There's not a pretty bow wrapped around our story right now. But I believe our story is not over. And I believe that your story is not over. And, And do you know how I know that? Because you are the story. And what gets written on the pages that remain of that story is so much up to you and how willing you are to respond in times of trouble. It's going to define you one way or the other. You get to choose what what gets written. And here's what I believe. I believe that God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and I believe that there are people who need to hear your story. But For a lot of you, what you're thinking is, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that may have happened to me, but most of it was because of me. And I've got a lot of those stories as well. But I want to share this with you, that God loves you for who you are and for where you are, no matter who and where that is. And I feel like there's so many people who are just drowning in life and there is a perfect and wonderful and beautiful savior standing at the edge, holding out his hand, just waiting for you to grab it. So one of the things I would like to to invite you to is, is, is praying as you experience, whether you are or you're not experiencing pain, tragedy and loss is simply this, God, use these circumstances, no matter what they are, to grow me into the person that you created me to be. And with that, I'll uh, say a quick prayer and we'll close. Uh, Father, thank you so much for more than anything as we hear this story, God, of learning that you truly are a good, good father and that you love us so much. And I just pray for every person in this room, God, that you would just move their hearts and let them experience and feel you and the peace and the joy that comes with that, God. Be with us as we go
1: out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love this man. Nathan, I just want to thank you for, A, traveling up here to be, you know, with this church in Chilliwack, B.C., uh, but for being real with us, raw, honest, inspiring us, encouraging us, and also thank you for, you know, shepherding us through this building project and really impacting the mission of our church through it, so thank you so much. Love it, man. Thank you. All right. Cool. It's my brother right there. All right, well, I got two quick next steps for you. First next step for everybody is you have to come back uh, next week for our next installment of Becoming Human. And my second challenge to you is for some of you, I believe your next step is out of the boat and into the baptism tank. Um, so if taking your next step of baptism is your next step. Please text and dunk to our number, 604-670-3040, or you can visit the Next Step Centre on your way out. We'd love to walk with you through that. I love you guys. Have a great day. Nathan will actually be up here hanging out after the service. If you want to come up, uh, thank him and encourage him. As well, he might give you a few pointers on your jump shot. Uh, but love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.